That song's by Urban Doxology. It is the reading of Isaiah 58. It's powerful, isn't it? Powerful. If you've not ever read Isaiah 58, I would invite you to read that this weekend that just talks about what God's heart is for us. I, I played that tonight on this 15-year anniversary because that's the heart cry. That's my heart cry for our church, and I hope that it is for you too. That, that we want to be a church that is part of the light of Jesus breaking forth like the dawn. Breaking forth like the dawn. Father, as we're stepping into this, this, this historical moment for us as a church, we, we, we just say to you, let us be a part. Let us be a part of the light of your Son, who is the light of the world, breaking forth like the dawn. Come on in Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen. So good, so good. The songs by Urban Doxology, if you're not familiar with them, I discovered them or rediscovered them. I've heard about them before, but have gotten away from listening to them. Their, their music is so powerful, so good. And then the video, uh, thanks, uh, Pastor David Godwin, I don't know if you're familiar with that name, a little something he threw together, he said. It's like, you just threw that together? Come on, that's good stuff. Hey, before I jump into my message, we're going to be off the clock a little bit tonight. I got a lot to say. You're like, what else is new? But yes, welcome to the City Life Church, as we often say here. I just want to say, just because you know we've been here for 13 and a, and a half years of the 15-year history of the church, I, I, just, just, I just briefly just want to say thank you to our staff team, that, that all that we accomplish here as a church would not be possible without them. And so, for some of you might not recognize some of these names, and so I'm just going to read them. Obviously, you know Vanessa, my incredible wife, leading with us, lead pastor here with me. Pastor Justin, campus pastor, Pastor David with Student Ministries, Chris House, Worship and Creative Arts, Elise Baldwin, who is our business administrator. Met you. She's just one of those people that's behind the scenes. She is the skeleton of this church, I'm telling you, keeping us all moving in the right direction. Taylor Baldwin, who is her daughter, who's the director of our before and after school program, all of her staff here during the week. Hannah Godwin, who is the director of our preschool, all of her staff here, especially Jordan Johnson, special shout out to him, and then Jonathan Rogers, who does all of our media. And so I just, I just want to say thank you to you. If I read your name, for what you do, for your perseverance, for your long hours, for all that you do that no one sees, for, for, for your devotion to the kingdom and your commitment to your calling. Thank you. I want to open my message tonight by sharing a story. This back, I think it was in 1993, the older I get, the harder it is for me to remember that long ago, just after the Ice Age. And uh, I had made it a, a vow devotion to Christ in December of 1990, so I'm just a couple of years into my life as a devoted follower of Christ, and I was at a work outing. I worked for the Christian Children's Fund then, an international child sponsorship agency, and it was a work outing with the department that I was a part of, and we were at what was then called the Richmond Braves, which is the minor league uh, baseball team in Richmond, Virginia, the, the stadium there in the city off the boulevard. And and and. And I'm there with my father and my brother, and, and you, it, was part, it was a workout where you invited family to come, and, 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 and a couple of rows beneath me, I noticed a, a group of what looked to be high school students roll in, and one of them had a Fellowship of Christian Athletes t-shirt on, and I was a volunteer uh, worker in the youth group. That's where I plugged in at the church. So I was, you know, excited about seeing a young person taking a stand for Christ. And, and as I'm sitting there, it wasn't, we, we were, they were just there for a few minutes and two of them and one of them with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes t-shirt on got up and they were walking around and I kept seeing them talk to these different guys that were older than them. And we would see the guys shake their head and, and walk away. And then finally they found someone who said yes. And they took some money out. And, and what you realize is that they were looking for someone to buy them beer because they were too young to do it. And I'm thinking to myself, you should take that t-shirt off. What are you doing with a Fellowship of Christian Athletes t-shirt on? You're in high school, and you're looking for someone to buy you beer at a baseball game. And then I'm thinking to the guy, who, who says yes to that? <laughs> who, who says, yeah, yeah, I'll buy a stranger alcohol and go to jail? Who does that? 
And, and so as we're sitting there and they, and they get their beer and they're, they're watching the game, I just sense the Holy Spirit. This is all new for me in my life. I sense the Holy Spirit say to me, Fred, I want you to go down there and talk to them. I'm like, I don't want to talk to them. I'm irritated with them. Every inning, the Holy Spirit, little nudge. I want you to go talk to them. And then I'm doing all of the normal gymnastics that we begin to do. You know, I'm here with my family. And, uh, and, and then you start to think, I'm here with my, my uh, people I work with, and they're going to want to know why I would go down and talk with them. Right? You're, you're thinking of all the reasons why you shouldn't do what God's asking you to do. And I don't do it. Baseball game keeps going, and just the Holy Spirit just is relentless, as the Holy Spirit is. Fred, are you are you going to go down and talk to them? I was like, no, I'm not. And then all of a sudden, the team that was losing, I, this is a true story, made a miraculous comeback. It goes into extra innings. As if God's saying, I will interrupt this baseball game for you to be obedient to me. Whatever it takes. Even still, I did not go. Even still, I did not go. The game ends. We're all, but there's thousands of people at this baseball game. We're, we're, we're making our way to our car. We're, we're in this throng of people, right, that's just flooding out of the stadium. And then every, at some point, they break off, right, into all these different groups to go into different parking lots. And as I'm walking with my brother and my father, I hear some, some, some just rowdy, raucous people laughing, cutting up just behind us. And I turn to see who it is, right? Thousands of people at this game, all the different places to park. Guess who it is? It's this group of teenagers, I'm like, if I don't talk to them, I will die at some point tonight from the wrath of God. Right? It's like when you're on a road trip and you say to your kids, don't make me come back there. Right? It, it's like, it, it's this, it, it's like I knew as if God was saying, don't, he wasn't saying don't make, make me come back there. He was saying, don't make me bring you up here to me. And so I turned. And I walk up into this group of these young people. I didn't know what I was going to say. And then as soon as I got into their circle and they're looking at me and, and I asked the one with a Christ, Fellowship of Christian Athletes t-shirt on, do, he had a, there was a cross on the shirt. I said, do, do you know the one who died on that cross for you? And then that opened up this incredible conversation that I have with these young people. I didn't talk to them about buying the beer or not buying the beer or the witness. I just, I, I began to talk with them about Jesus. And we talked about this, just this incredible adventure that he invites us onto if we're just willing to follow. Now, I don't, I've, they're strangers. I don't know who they are, but I hope that I find them one day in heaven and get to have a conversation with them. And I hope that that conversation that I had with them on that day redirected their course. So I'm asking you tonight, when is the last time you felt hesitant because God was asking you to do something for him that made you uncomfortable? Ser seriously, ask yourself that when was the last time that you felt hesitant because God was asking you to do something for him that made you feel uncomfortable. Because if, if we're having, and I'm preaching myself tonight, if, if we're having a hard time thinking of when that was, it's probably not because we've attained some degree of spiritual maturity. It's probably because we've slipped back into spiritual atrophy. Because I don't know about you, but growing means that we find a comfort with the uncomfortable Living in this place where God's constantly stretching us and growing us. I hope that every year for the rest of my life, there's at least one moment of hesitancy where I feel like God's asking me, asking something of me that's more than what I feel like I can do. Acts 2, 42 to 47 reads this way. Acts 2, 42 to 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. Listen to what it says. A deep sense of awe came over them all. A deep sense of awe. And the, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. 
They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple every day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Why were people drawn to the church? Because when they looked at the church, they found something that caused and created in them a sense of awe. Because they found in the church something that seemed impossible. They, they found in the church something that they could not find anywhere else in the world. And can I just tell you that reaching for the impossible in the kingdom of heaven is always going to make us feel uncomfortable. There is nothing in the Bible that we read that was impossible that we say, oh, that was easy. Everything in the Bible that is miraculous and supernatural was preceded by someone wrestling with a moment of hesitancy because it was drawing them out of their comfort zone. I believe that City Life is supposed to be a community of faith where the world sees people reconciling relationships whose lives seem irreconcilable. I believe this is something. Every church has a call. Every church is supposed to represent something of the heart of God. I'm convinced this is supposed to be part of who we are as a church. There's all kinds of ways that the church is supposed to awe the world. I believe this is the way that city life is supposed to awe the world around us. I'm not changing our mission. Our mission is still to build the church Jesus envisioned to love the world he died to save. But can I just tell you that as we cast the vision for a year ago through the Why Do Be series. You can get that online. We said to build a church means to build people. You build a church by building the character of Christ in people. That's why we're a discipleship culture here at City Life, because we believe that when you build the character of Christ in people, we fulfill what Jesus meant when he said, if I be high and lifted up, I will draw all people unto myself. So when the character of Christ is formed in us, then people are drawn to Jesus through our witness. But can I just tell you more and more, I'm convinced, if the character of Christ is being formed in us, you know what's going to begin to happen? Relationship miracles are going to take place in the body of Christ. See, because the more I allow myself to become like Christ, the more you allow yourself to become like Christ, even though there are parts of us and our humanity that are irreconcilable, there should be a relationship that we're willing to enter into with each other that transcends that. I'm telling you, the world is desperate for a relationship miracle. Because in secular society, everybody retreats to sameness. In secular society, everybody retreats to a comfort zone. In secular society, everybody retreats to people like themselves. But the body of Christ is supposed to be different. The church is supposed to look differently. The body of Christ is supposed to be a place where people are reconciling in relationships even though parts of their lives seem irreconcilable. Are you willing to be a part of a relationship miracle in the world? I believe that's one of the things that the cross teaches us. We like to think of the cross as a symbol of comfort, but we forget that it is a symbol of death and dying. It's a symbol of comfort because of the death and dying that Jesus did on our behalf, but it's also a call. Anthony in his wrap-up was already in my notes. I was like, come on, that's good. Holy Spirit's got one message for us. 1 Peter 2.24 reads this way, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, we are healed. That's the cross. See, Jesus died on the cross because we couldn't. Because we couldn't. That's the gospel. But also so that we could take up a cross that we can. See, there's a difference between the cross and a cross. We would, we would never have been able to go to the cross. Jesus was the only one that could bear that burden. But that doesn't mean that there's not a cross for you and for me. Matthew 16, 24 to 27, that Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, just as Anthony already read, didn't know we were coming to this tonight, you must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. 
And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. Are you willing to carry a cross for him? Because if you're willing to carry a cross, which is what we're called to do, it, it, it means that there should always be some sense of dying to self in us. And we will never bring a relationship miracle to the world, come on, if we're not willing to die to ourselves in some way, in some manner. And as I'm willing to die a little bit, and if you're willing to die a little bit, then all of a sudden the world looks into the church and sees all these people with parts of their lives that are irreconcilable walking in reconciled relationships. The world is desperate for a relationship miracle. You, you want to see a list of why we fail at this? It's going to appear on the screen right here. It's not because of Abby, because she's awesome. <laughs> but that sign is prophetic. Do you feel that way towards people who are different than you in this list? Or does the sign that you're holding say something else? Do you have a sign that says something on one side and you flip it around? For the people that are like you and you flip it back around. On the other side it says, keep on moving. You might not have that sign, but you see it on our faces. God gives us our personality. Did you know that? Excesses and all by his design. Doctrinal beliefs. None of us are perfect in our interpretation of the Bible. I have a revelation. You have a revelation. Even when those revelations don't agree, then we work it out. Spiritual gifts, they're all different. Church preferences, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. I want the music louder. I want it softer. I want more of this kind of song. I want more of that. Do we skip the next one or do we just say it? P politics. Yeah? None of you are irritated with anybody because of their politics, right? I'm certainly not. Stop it. Flip my sign over. Keep on moving. Keep on moving. Worldviews. Can I just tell you? You can have a worldview that is biblically based. I can have a worldview biblic that's biblically based. And sometimes parts of it are irreconcilable. Social ills and the prioritization of them. Yeah. Can I just tell you that when the Bible says that you and I bear the image of God, we believe that. I hope you do. Imago Dei. Imago Dei. The image of God. Can we all just agree that when we bear the image of God... We're not all going to look exactly the same. You're going to bear a part of the resemblance of him that's going to be a little bit different than me. It's like your children. Most of the time, unless they're identical twins, right, which is the exception, but most of the time, your kids, they, they look different. Some resembles this family member more than the other. If you put Ethan's elementary school, our middle son's picture, next to my sister's middle child, next to my mother's picture, all at elementary school, they look like triplets, identical. It's the craziest thing. Vanessa's like, I did all the work to bring these children in the world. Why do they look like your family? I know, see? Yep, that's a real conversation. 
You ever stop to think, listen to me, I've been convicted this week. People that shake out on that list differently than you do, that your frustration with them, your rejection of them, you're actually rejecting a part of God that he is trying to show the world. Have you stopped to think about that? If you believe in Imago Dei, as I do, that when I look at this list, that, that there's a part of God that he's trying to reveal to the world through that person that is a part of who he is, what he looks like, what his heart longs for, that looks differently than you. And when I reject that in them, I'm, I'm literally saying to God, I don't like that part of who you are. Enter fish, swallows us up into the sea for three days. When is the last time you felt hesitant because God was asking you to do something for him that made you feel uncomfortable? Like being part of a relationship miracle. Megos ergon. Megos ergon is Greek for greater works. Just going to reference it for the sake of time, but it's John 150, 520, and then in 14, 12 through 14, where Jesus talks about greater works. Where he talks about there's, there's going to come a time where, where, where people will will literally do greater works than he did. It's striking, isn't it? For theologians and scholars, it's one of the most befuddling verses, especially in the world of Pentecostalism like us that believes in the supernatural for today. If you're a, a dispensationalist, then those verses are not troubling for you. But for us who believes that the power of God is still for today, how, how, how do we explain those verses. Is, listen to this. Is it even in the realm of possibility that one day Christ's followers will perform more miracles than Jesus himself? If you've read the New Testament, how could that be? How could that be? I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about. See, what if Jesus wasn't talking about physical miracles? Is it possible that Jesus was performing miracles on the tangible to inspire faith for miracles with the intangible. Now, I believe what the Bible says, that he performed those miracles to demonstrate his divinity. I believe that. And I believe that miracles are for today. We've seen them in this church. I've seen them in my own lives. I'm not becoming a dispensationalist. What, what I'm saying is, when he talks about greater works, is it possible that he was referring to a different kind of miracle? What, what if he's talking about healing my blindness to the Imago Dei and other people? What, what if the blind eye isn't just for the healing of blindness of the body, but healing of the blindness for the soul? So that I can see the resemblance in others of my Creator. What if my deafness that needs to be healed is because I've developed a deaf ear to the pain and the suffering of my brethren what, what if, what if, here's one for you, what if it's my atrophied will? My will is lame and on a mat and cannot move itself anymore. That will not move towards my brother and sister in Christ who is in need. What if it's my loving, calming presence that's supposed to be the calm in the storms of life that are causing others to despair? Maybe in a global pandemic. I don't know. I'm just throwing out some thoughts. What, what, what if the miracle of reconciling relationships that feel irreconcilable is one of the greater works that Jesus was prophesying about? What, what, what if... One of these miracles that Jesus was prophesying was that there's going to come a day when the church will be to the world a witness of reconciliation amongst the irreconcilable. Well, what if the church becomes a place where the world finds something in it that it cannot find anywhere else? Have we lost our luster? 
So I'm just going to keep asking you tonight, when is the last time you felt hesitant? Because God was asking you to do something for him that made you feel uncomfortable, like being a part of a relationship miracle. See, I think that's what Jesus was prophesying because it's what he eventually prayed for. I I believe it's what Jesus was prophesying because it's what he prayed for. We believe in this, 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 I, this hermeneutical principle. Her, hermeneutics is the, is, the, is the interpretation, the study of the Bible. This, this hermeneutical principle of chronological context. You, you've heard of verse context, right? Somebody will take a verse out of context, meaning that they, they forget about what comes before it or after it or the book that it's in. But there's something called chronological context, which means that when did it happen? When did it take place? It gives us insight. So things that happen at the beginning of something is insightful. I talked last week uh, 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 about Malachi. When Jesus talked about giving right before, I mean, when the Holy Spirit uh, inspired Malachi to, to write about tithing right before 400 years of prophetic silence, that's chronological context. It means something. He brought emphasis to it through that moment. John 17 is Jesus' prayer for his disciples just before he was going to die. That's chronological context. It means that what he prays for is significant. Listen, I'm going to read it. I'm praying. You knew it was coming. I'm going to read it to you. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you and me, people. And I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, And I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. See, this idea of oneness is our witness. I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. He keeps saying it over and over. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. What what is he saying? He's saying there is a relationship miracle that he's praying for that will take place in the church that will be so profound that it will cause the entire world to see that Jesus is Lord. Come on. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Come on. Well, I'm going to get to that later. You just remember that. He wants us to be with him in heaven, and we love that part of the story. Listen to what it says. Then they can see all the glory that you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. He prays for unity because he he knows that, that it's impossible. So that's why he's praying for it. See, the unity that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have, this, this unity of heart and this, this unity of mind, it's because they are the same. He's praying for the unity of the body of Christ because he knows that we are not the same, because we are not divine. You tracking with me? He's praying for this. He knows that it's a supernatural thing that's got to take place because all of us bear a part of the image of God that sometimes feels like it's in contrast with other parts of who God is. And on top of that, we have to deal with our humanity, which the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit do not deal with because they're perfect. He's praying for it because it's impossible. He's praying for it because he wants us to discover this principle, which I believe is key, that we've got to learn to be of one heart even when we're not of one mind. We've got to learn to be of one heart, even when we're not of one mind. I'm going to give you three keys tonight that I believe are going to be essential, going to become a part of the culture of this church. If we're going to see a relationship miracle take place here. See, one of the reasons why relationship miracles don't happen is that we have learned to follow the world's example instead of setting example for the world to follow. And what we have learned to do is that when we come up against something that feels irreconcilable, we retreat into sameness because that's what we've learned from the secular society that we're a part of. Instead of being willing to step out of our comfort zone, 
and, and to be willing to wrestle with the irreconcilable so that we can be a part of a relationship miracle that res- reveals Christ to the world. The first one is this, celebration. 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 Somebody say, celebration. We have got to stop being offended by the passions and the assignments of other people. Got to stop it. Passions that come out of our personalities, passions that come out of our spiritual gifts, passions that come out of our assignment. If we're going to experience a relationship miracle, we got to start celebrating the passions of other people. Whether we understand it, whether it makes sense to us, if it is a kingdom passion, then it's something that we've got to celebrate. See, too many of us, preaching to myself tonight, we, we either have Paul syndrome, Saul syndrome, or Herod syndrome, and I've got all three. See, the Paul syndrome, talking about the Apostle Paul, he, he was the most ardent persecutor of Christianity. Why? Because deep inside of his soul, he knew that he was being called to that movement. You see, sometimes we're offended by the passions of others because deep down inside, we prophetically sense that we're called to that same passion and we don't like it, so we try to eliminate it. The Saul syndrome, talking about King Saul, the struggle that he had with David. See, sometimes we're offended by the passions of others because they're more popular in their passion than we are in ours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You curl those toes up. <laughs> the Herod syndrome. All of these are in me. I, I'm, I'm confessing as much as I'm preaching tonight. The Herod syndrome. When we're offended by the passions of others because if that passion is made manifest, it will take from me power and privilege that I enjoy. Paul, Saul, and Herod. Help us, Lord. Celebration is not the same as toleration. It's not the same as toleration. Tolerating is, is putting up with. We're not talking about putting up with. We're talking about making room for with excitement and enthusiasm. Are there limits to passions? Sure, sure. If your passion is to get fallen down, throw up drunk every Friday night at the club and go home with someone different every weekend, we're going to help you find a different passion. I'm not saying that every passion is a kingdom passion. That's not what I'm talking about, people. But... But if what they're passionate about is something that we know that reflects the heart of God, then let's celebrate it in other people. Exodus 36, 1, Pastor Justin preached about Bezalel over the summer and protagonist Anonymous. He was the artist and the craftsman that God, along with the other gentleman that none of us can ever pronounce his name, Juice and I say, we always say Bezalel and the other guy. You can see it in Exodus 36. It it says that that God supernaturally gave him the ability to become an artisan and a craftsman to build the tabernacle. You got to find your Bezalel, people. You got to find your assignment. Can I just tell you, when you see other people that are passionate, I hope something inside of you says, What's my passion? That even if you don't understand their passion, even if that passion frustrates you, can I just tell you there's room for all kinds of passions? All kinds of passions. They don't have to compete with each other. God's got a passion for every person because he's got an assignment for every person. And he wants to supernaturally equip you with a passion just as he did Bezalel and everybody else in Scripture and everybody else you know in this church who's passionate about something. We get confused sometimes because sometimes our Bezalel is not to build something up. Sometimes our Bezalel calling is to tear something down. Yeah. 
2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons. Listen to what it says, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Some, sometimes our passion is to build things up. Sometimes our passion has to be tear stuff down that's ungodly in society. We've got to celebrate those people because those passions are important. Celebration. The second one is this, confidence. Con- oh, I love these three things. Celebration and confidence. I read from this book this past fall when we were doing our moral dilemma. I'm not going to read for it again tonight. You can go back and hear it, but there's a section in here where I, I learned a phrase. I like books that teach me something. Talked about a confident pluralism. A confident pluralism is a, is a concept in the world of apologetics that says as Christians, we're not threatened by other religious teachings in the world that we would say respectfully are false religions like Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and all the other isms. And the reason we're not is because we believe that truth will ultimately bear itself out. And if other people aren't free to share their religious views, then we are not going to be free to share ours. So we want there to be religious freedom, even for people that believe differently than we do, because we believe that the truth of God's word will always ultimately win. I don't want them to be quiet. I don't need them to be quiet for the message of the gospel to go forward and to overcome. Now, we like this idea of confident pluralism until it's time for there to be a confident pluralism inside the church that we go to. Confident pluralism isn't about winning. Confident pluralism is about listening and learning. Not so that we can be influenced by things that are wrong, but can I just tell you what I've learned in my life? When I'm willing to listen and learn from other people, even if I know that I don't agree with their viewpoints, I've earned the right to share my own. See, one of the reasons why the gospel is stymied is because we're not building bridges of relationships with people who believe differently than we are. And we are not willing to put the time in to be heard. And the same is true within the body of Christ. None of us have a complete and full understanding of everything that's in here. So even within church families, there's going to be times where we disagree about important things. But the question is, do you believe in a confident pluralism? Because if your revelation is the right revelation, then why are you so threatened by someone else's? If if you're so confident that your interpretation of this and how it applies in every manner, prioritization of social ills, certain doctrines, preferences that you have, If you've got beliefs and convictions that are strong, that's okay. That's okay, but bring those ideas into the marketplace. I like to use the word arena, but other people, that word makes them uncomfortable. Yeah, because you're thinking about gladiator. But you know what? Sometimes it is an arena. And sometimes it is a battle. But that's when the Bible talks about iron sharpening iron. See, there's a way to battle with each other without it fracturing relationships. Do you believe in a confident pluralism? Because I do. And that's a part of the culture of this church. And sometimes it makes people uncomfortable. Everything you hear from this pulpit is not always going to agree with the next person that's up here. Can I, I'm okay with that. I'm not threatened by that. And you shouldn't be either. Because I believe truth will always bear itself out. Do not let your personality excesses and your character flaws be impediments to the revelation and the truth that God has given you to reveal to the world. See, sometimes people don't want to listen to us because they don't like us. And sometimes they don't like us because we've given them good reason not to. If people are going to be offended by me, I want it to be because the truth that God has given to me has offended them. 
not because of the way I've presented it to them. The message being right is not enough, people. It's not enough. It's not enough. See, part of this idea of a confident pluralism does not mean that you have the permission to be the bully in the room because you're convinced that you're right. If you can't think of the last time that you weren't right, you have a problem. How much time are you spending with people who are different than you are? How much time are you spending exploring ideas that challenge your own? How much time are you spending listening to podcasts and reading books and listening to messages that challenge the way that you think? I've done that my entire Christian life and I'm the better for it. I'm the better for it. If you're doing that and you're out on your own, that can be dangerous because you can be, as it says in Ephesians 4, swept away by every wind and doctrine. But see, if you're firmly planted in the body of Christ like you're supposed to be, then all of these things that you're listening to, you bring that back into the body and then we help each other. And see, by listening to people that believe differently than we do, we build a bridge of relationship. And if we are the ones that are true, then we get to be the ones that brings that truth to the moment. And if we're not, guess what? Then we've built a bridge of relationship and established trust with someone who we need to hear tell us that we're wrong. We have adopted a secular mindset that loves winning far more than we love relating. We have adopted a secular mindset that loves winning more than we love relating. The world is hungry for a relationship miracle. Will you be a part of it? Celebration. Stop being offended by the passions of others. Find your own confidence, a confident pluralism. Bring your ideas and your beliefs lovingly into the marketplace of ideas that's sometimes an arena. And the third one is this, collaboration. See, you can celebrate people's passions. You can enter into the marketplace of ideas with a confident pluralism, but still say to that person, I will not stand beside you to build the kingdom of God. We are called to collaborate with one another in spite of our disagreement. I want to celebrate you, respect your confidence in your ideas as we work together. This book by Pastor Jeff Mingi, who's the lead pastor of Catalyst Church that meets here on Sunday mornings, called to cooperate. Our, our governance team is going to read this book together this year. I, I read most of it last night. It is phenomenal. He talks in this book about how the church, it's lost its appetite for interconnectedness and interdependence, meaning that we need each other. We need each other. He, he goes into Nehemiah and this, this, this phrase that's found in there, next to them, next to them, where it would give a name of a person, it would say next to them and another name, and it would say next to them is another name. Who are you next to in this church? building the kingdom of heaven together. You gotta be next to people. Listen to me, this is important. A lot of people claiming to be prophets in the world today. Be wary and cautious of any prophet who does not have a pastor or some type of apostolic covering that they're submitted to. Be careful. I've been, I've been saying this for years. I'm not saying anything new when it comes to this warning I'm giving you tonight. It's not, it's not new. I've been saying it for years. Being a part of, uh, in the theological, uh, Pentecostal theological stream, when I'm talking with young pastors, we, t- we talked about these things. I talk about them often. Be careful. Arrogance is the genesis of deception. Arrogance is the genesis of deception. Bible teachers who tell you that the only thing that they read is the Bible, be careful. Be careful. I've been saying saying this for years because I'm a teacher. I feel like this is part of my calling. 
So when I'm talking with other teachers, I, I challenge them and young, young people that are called to teaching, I tell them, you got to read what other people have to say about the Bible. The Bible is infallible, but your interpretation of it is not. The Holy Spirit is infallible, but your ability to hear him is not. So if someone claims to be a Bible teacher and they say that the only thing that they read is the Bible, I would be careful. Just be careful. Those are teachers that love to teach but don't want to be taught. Prophets who love to correct but never want to be corrected. Be careful. Be careful. I've been saying those things for years. I'm just saying them again tonight. Because this is part of collaboration. The definition of a modern-day Pharisee is if you believe that Jesus is always on your side and never on anyone else's. We will not effect change in this world the way that the church was commissioned to effect change unless we're willing to celebrate all the different spiritual gifts, hearts, desires, natural abilities, personalities, and life experiences. That acronym is shaped by Eric Reese. We love that book that talks about if you want to understand and discover your assignment, then function follows form. Discover how God made you and you'll gain insight into what he's called you to. And everybody has a different shape because everybody has a different Imago Dei. All of us resemble God in a different way. And we need each other, which is what Pastor Jeff is talking about, interconnectedness and interdependence if we're going to effect the kind of change in the world that we're supposed to bring. And beyond that, if we're going to step into a relationship miracle that's going to create a sense of awe in the world. I'm in the home stretch here. John 19, 26 to 27 says, when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, dear woman, here is your son. She had sons, but yet he says it all the same. And he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. He had a mother. In fact, his mother was there when Jesus said that. I bet that created an interesting conversation on the way home. You already have a mother. You don't need another one. I saw this, I shared it with our leaders at our all church leadership team at the end of the year. I saw this in a brand new way. This verse is one of the most powerful verses in the Bible that tells us that Jesus has a sovereign plan for relationships that we're supposed to enter into. See, relationships are not about just our personal preference because if that were the case, then we would never be a part of a relationship miracle in this world. See, this verse is there for us because Jesus is trying to say to us just before he dies, just before he dies, he says this. Why? Because he's prophesied about greater works. He, 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 he prays for unity and oneness. And then on the cross, he, he says to us, there's gonna be relationships that I'm gonna say that you're sovereignly bound to whether you like it or not whether you like it or not. See, we love, I, I said I was gonna come back to this. This is, we love Jesus' plan for us to be in heaven. We, we, we like that part of his prayer. We, we love Jesus' plan for us to be in heaven with him, but we do not love his plan for who we are supposed to align ourselves with on the way there. We get all excited about heaven. Then all of a sudden we, the feet of the cross, which we sing about, Jesus says, you're bound to this person and this person is bound to you. And we're like, I just want to sing right now, Jesus. I'm just singing right now. I'm just singing right now. Uh, I've got plenty of friends. Uh, I'm just singing right now. Magos Aragon. Greater works. A relationship miracle. A relationship miracle. That's my sign that I'm supposed to stop preaching. <laughs> Stand with me. We're going to still take a few minutes at the end of the service to pray for you. It's important to us. Just going to be explaining it to you every week, especially if you're visiting at the end of the service where people downhill, there'll be masks. We ask that you keep your mask on. But if you need prayer, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to be here to pray for you. 
If you, if you stay in this room, you, you can. You don't have to exit. But if you're going to, if you want to talk with people, you can do it in the foyer. But I also want you to know that there's a large foyer down there too, because I, I, I recognize this sometimes gets crowded. So you can go down here if you want to talk to people. But some of you head down to the other foyer. You're, you can all end up back in the same parking lot. But we would ask that if you're going to stay in here, that you would maintain an attitude and a heart of worship. I believe that city life is supposed to be a community of faith where the world sees people reconciling relationships whose lives seem irreconcilable. I'm asking you tonight on this 15 year anniversary, will you put your hand to this plow with me? Will you go on this journey with me? Will you commit yourself to be a part of something that is absolutely supernatural and is of a biblical proportion to walk and pursue a relationship, reconciling yourself even when the ideas that you share feel irreconcilable? Will you be a part of a relationship miracle this side of heaven? Not for you, not for me, but for the lost person that's out there. For the lost person that's out there. Who's looking for that miracle to break their heart for Jesus. Father, help us to never forget what's at stake. Help help us to never forget what's at stake. You, you told us that you came to seek and to save the lost. And we know that you've commissioned us to that same calling. Help us carry a cross to die to self, to celebrate the Imago Day and the people that are around us. To be willing to step into a marketplace of ideas and not be threatened by those that disagree. Confidence that we would collaborate, be next to interconnectedness, interdependence, that we would see that this kingdom work, we will never do it alone. And the one thing that we also know that can never be done alone is there can never be a relationship miracle if we're the only ones there. Greater works. What you prophesied, what you prayed for, and what you commanded from the cross, may you find in us a heart that says yes and amen. Yes and amen. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said amen. We'll see you next week. We're here for you for prayer.